The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's Hawkeye. Please welcome my co-host, Priscilla Rocha. Hello, hello. And Professor X. I can do this all day. That was beautiful. We just won a a podcast Tony for that. Thank you. All right, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 1, which was titled Never Meet Your Heroes and debuted November 24th, 2021 via Disney+. Plus. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Archer Kate Bishop lands in the middle of a criminal conspiracy, forcing Hawkeye out of retirement. So, here's the big question. And this is the question that I've been asking, I feel like I've asked this every single time that we've done one of these Disney Plus series. Uh, So hopefully I'm not wrong. But I, I do feel like I have been asking this. Are you a fan of the titular character? Are you a fan of Hawkeye? Now, interestingly enough, in this first episode, we had very little Hawkeye. So, so we'll talk about how, how that was with, it, with the episode momentarily. But as far as Hawkeye the character, are we fans of Hawkeye? Did you like Hawkeye in his various appearances in the Avengers films? Uh, do we enjoy the character? Were we fans of his comics? Do we enjoy a bow and an arrow? Um, so we'll start off with Priscilla. Are you a Hawkeye fan? Period. Um, I really liked the Hawkeye comic book series where he comes out with Pizza Dog and with Kate Bishop. And I really liked the um, series with um, the, not the series, but I, I liked the movie when he comes out as Ronan. And when he, like, almost sacrifices himself, but doesn't at the very last second because Natasha takes over and sacrifices herself. Like, I thought that that was, like, like, that showed some character development as opposed to being just, like, the zombie that, like, gets knocked out of the running and then wakes up and decides to shoot an arrow at Loki all of a sudden, like, I thought that that was kind of a weak character development in his first movie, but he got better. So, yeah. Okay. I have no idea. So, wait. So, you do like Hawkeye? (laughs) I'm very good. Okay. I like Hawkeye. I just feel like in the movies, they Mm -hmm. shortchanged him, and I feel like in the series, Mm -hmm. they're going to give him his just desserts. They're going to give him more that they haven't given 
that like that they gave to the other characters. Mm-hmm. They gave every other character a chance, but they they I feel like they they gave us a taste of what it could be like with this most recent movie that he came out in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with this series, we're just gonna get more. Okay, so you want more? Okay. Yeah. All right, Professor. Same question for you. Are you a Hawkeye fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, agreeing, uh, you know, uh, with what was just said, I really love the Matt Fraction run uh, of Hawkeye. He basically took a, a character that was a joke. It's sort of like an Aquaman level character. Uh, and everyone is just and it's become very you know trendy to dunk on Hawkeye, which makes sense. You know, you've got a god and a guy in a super suit and a super soldier and, and all of this stuff. And this is just a guy with a bow and arrow. And, you know, they've, they've mentioned that throughout the movies. But he's a character who has like a a fairly intricate backstory which they've never mentioned in the mcu in the comics he has all of this you know backstory and previous relationships and stuff like that none of which has ever been mentioned in the mcu so it's not canon as far as we know in the mcu so i'm curious because there were some hints of that being dropped into uh this first episode so uh i am curious to see how much of that uh, that backstory they'll pick up on um because you know we've only known you know uh, uh hawkeye you know uh, as played by jeremy renner since uh thor uh, you know, when he showed up, you know, just basically for the cameo, he was already a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, um, you know, um, and, uh, you know, so his his whole backstory of how he became Hawkeye uh, is a story yet to be told. And I don't know if they're going to do it in this series, but there is a lot of fertile stuff from the comics that they can draw on if they want. All right. So I'll be honest. I was not the biggest Hawkeye fan. So it, it's interesting. Um, I have not read the comics, so I have nothing. No idea about any of that life. But from what I've seen on the big screen, I mean, he was always almost just there. And uh, maybe it's the MCU's fault for never really putting Hawkeye in the forefront. I mean, even as a non-powered character, I feel like we always saw Black Widow in action a whole lot more than Hawkeye. And then, you know, they sort of gave us a family for him in one of the movies, and, and that was kind of nice to give him, you know, a, you know, sort of an attempt at a backstory, or at least additional story. But uh, I, I will say, and this is no shade to Jeremy Renner, but Hawkeye was never my favorite character out of all of the Avengers, um, period. So I will be honest and say... This was probably the Disney Plus series that I was not looking forward to in an interesting sort of way. Like, it was just like, oh, Hawkeye. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. It's the MCU. Um, I, I will watch it because, you know, it's all connected. It's like tattooed in my brain. So I have to watch it. Um, but you I know, wasn't I, as I think hyped. In the, mm-hmm. I think in the show they sort of address those concerns that you were bringing yes. up because – when we first meet Clint, you know, we're, we're sort of seeing that side of his character. He's not someone who wanted to be a costumed hero. He didn't. He was a shield agent. You know, he just sort of accidentally became an Avenger. It's not like he was he's, he doesn't have the ego of a Thor or a uh, an Iron Man. He doesn't have the, uh, you know, the uh, you know, the the sheer smashingness of a Hulk or or anything like that. He's not a symbol. Uh, like Captain America, he's just a guy who's doing his job and is frankly embarrassed by the recognition that he's getting. So I think that's part of the reason why he's never really stood out in the MCU movies. But I think giving him the chance to really go into that side of his character, I think, uh, is is I think it's really, you know, potentially good. And I, I really liked how uh, Renner played it in this episode. Totally. I do agree with you on that. Jeremy Renner is winning me over 
with with Hawkeye. Uh, yes. So let's talk about the start of uh, the series because we flash back to the year 2012. We get a different POV from the Battle of New York. We see a young Kate Bishop. Uh, we see her parents. Uh, the, her parents. Uh, um, gosh, uh, what was your name for me? Is it Eleanor? Yes. Derek and Eleanor Bishop. Uh, it seems like they're going through some marital stuff. And while all that is going down, it's the Battle of New York. And we see it from young, sort of teenage or tweenage Kate Bishop's eyes. What, what do we think of how it opened, Professor? It, it's interesting during these Disney Plus series, period, and also during some of the, the MCU films that are on the big screen, we kind of keep going back and sort of getting a bird's eye view from like a different POV of like these major MCU events. Uh, you know, we saw the snap on another series, you know, through a different character's eyes. And now this time we're seeing this young girl witnessing the battle of New York. Uh, did that put the battle in a different perspective in your eyes? I think it did because, you know, the, the one Avenger that she saw in action was Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. And so you have this impressionable child seeing this guy with fighting with a bow and arrow. So it sort of gives an explanation as to why Kate will become who she becomes later. Uh, you know, she says to her mother, you know, at the, the funeral scene, she needs a bow and arrow. Um, you know, so uh, it, it gives a great motivation and a great, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the idea that this is, you know, you know, it, I think anyone who obviously lived through, you know, something like that happening in the city, it would be a pivotal moment in their life. But giving us this view of her seeing Hawkeye in action, I think, gives us a, a much better understanding of how this affected Kate specifically. Priscilla, I want to get your take on it as well. Do you have anything to add in regards to the opening of the film, seeing the Battle of New York from a different POV? I, I liked seeing little Kate. I liked seeing how um, it sort of molded her into becoming a miniature, like, little vigilante in the future herself like it's how she grew up to become i i like the animation sequence afterwards especially where it, it kind of shows that like she got into everything that a prototypical like batman year one would get into like gymnastics and martial arts and doing the bow and arrow because she wanted to get better at it to become like Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I, I loved the opening. I, I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought they did a really good job of just making it seem, you know, like a part of the damn movie, a part of the, the OG Avengers film. Uh, yeah, it was great to see young Kate's experiencing that not you know well, I mean, clearly some bad stuff happened but um her father died but it was still you know it was it was impressionable and it makes sense that this impressionable kid you know would want to become you know the hero i guess that she's destined to become priscilla dipped her toes into talking about the opening sequence so let's talk about it 
interestingly enough, there's a little bit of controversy about it. But uh, what did we think of uh, the opening credits? Uh, full disclosure to the listeners, I'm sure you all know, but they did release, and they being Disney+, Plus, released two episodes of the series uh, when it premiered. Uh, the second episode did not have the fancy opening credits. Uh, so maybe it was just a one-time thing. But uh, what do we think of the opening credits? Priscilla talked about it a, a little bit. Uh, Professor, uh, do you have anything to add in regards to the snazzy animated opening? Well, for those like Priscilla and I who have read and loved the Matt Fraction run uh, on Hawkeye, this is clearly a reference to that. It's got the same color palette. It's got the same artistic style. So it's a little subtle signal to those of us who are coming to this character uh, who have read the Fraction run that this is going to be very much in that vein. So I found it very comforting because as soon as I saw that animation style, I thought, okay, good. They're going to be following the Fraction run. And that was really well done. Now, they're not following it exactly it's if there's a lot of differences but just the the fact that that sensibility is going to be in there because as i said fraction really completely revitalized hawkeye as the character uh you know took him from a joke and a laughing stock to making him a really interesting well-rounded character but in a very different way from what we see in this episode but yeah for me personally i loved it and uh i thought it, it uh it just uh you know putting it in that style was a great little visual uh tip of the hat for uh for the audience very nice. See, I don't have the comic book connection. I just thought it was kind of nice and snazzy. Uh, Priscilla, were you going to say something? Yeah, I can ask a question really quickly. Do y'all think the dad is dead? Oh. I would wow. be surprised if he was. Because they didn't show a body during the... I mean, yeah. I'm, and, and, and if you were going to try to, you know, vanish or something like that, or for whatever nefarious reason, um, I would not at all be surprised uh, if the father is still alive. Very interesting. All right. I love that theory. I, I don't dislike it. I, I will say uh, Brian Darcy James plays the father, and I've seen him in other stuff. So that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, he's not like a name-name person, but he's name-ish. So, like, I've recognized him, so I was like, okay. That that would not surprise well, me. And we always think that because, you know, you're, you're casting an actor of a certain level. And so when I saw Simon Callow, uh, I thought, well, he's obviously going to be really oh, okay. stabbing him, you know, uh, halfway through the episode. It's like, okay, maybe I called that one wrong. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, like he's he's in the opening credits. Uh, he's he's a really great actor. I I can't feel that this is the last we've seen of Simon Callow somehow. I just can't believe they would just stab him. And there's there's no time travel shenanigans in this show. Yeah. So yeah, allegedly, unless, yeah, I, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. We never know. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Kate Bishop. Grown up, 22-year-old Kate Bishop, college student. Um, she's she's an archer. She is um, destroying clock, not clock slash bell towers. Uh, let's talk about Kate Bishop. Uh, throughout this episode, what did we think of Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop? And I will say, I'm going to start off because I loved her. I thought she was fantastic. She was fun. She was quirky. She, um, she, she was just everything. Like she was, she was an immediate draw. And, uh, I don't think I've really seen Haley Steinfeld in anything outside of Pitch Perfect, which she was fun in Pitch Perfect too. 
Uh, well, uh, that's funny because she was in Pitch Perfect too. Uh, anyway, um, but I enjoyed her as Kate Bishop. I found her refreshing, one hundred percent. Priscilla, your take on Kate Bishop? Everything Kate Bishop in this first episode. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I'm two sided with this because Ooh. on one hand, I really like Haley Steinfeld. I think that she's magnetic. I think that what she brings to the table is really great. I think that her relationship with the dog is really cute. I think that her relationship with her mother is like is believable. It's really, it was really good. But I gotta admit that seeing like another like rich girl getting into trouble and like ruining stuff it, it kind of sends, like, a bad message in 2021 where I'm just kind of like, really? We're, 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 we're going with that? Oh, she brought real life into this. All right. I, I see your point of view. I see your point of view. Professor, what about you? Kate Bishop. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I think uh, Haley Steinfeld is doing a tremendous job. Yeah, I can agree that you know there's a reason for that, but I think they want to establish the idea that Kate doesn't have everything all together. That you know even though she's coming from wealth and privilege, she's still making mistakes. She's stumbling over her feet. And I think that's an important thing to do because I'm assuming the arc of this will be her you know basically doing her hero's journey. You know, her getting to you know team up with uh, with her hero, her personal hero. Uh, and, you know, whether she ends up taking the Hawkeye mantle at the end of it or is just, you know, sort of a Hawkeye in training. It's, it, she can't be perfect at the beginning of it. She has to have those flaws so that she can develop as a character over the course of the series. I don't expect to see a lot of character development in Clint um, because he's, you know, an older guy and, you know, established and set in his ways and everything like that. But Kate is the one who has to change. Um, it's interesting. She, her, I, I'm, I'm absolutely loving Haley Steinfeld's portrayal of her, the, the sharpness, the quickness, you know, the, the great lines, the funniness. Um, she's, she's tremendous. It's not quite comic accurate. Uh, Kate is a bit less of a screw up, considerably less of a screw up. Uh, you know, um, Kate is like sort of an omnicompetent Mary Sue uh, in the comics. And, um, you know, I, I like the fact that they're making her a little more human, but we don't meet Kate in, in the comics until she's actually sort of established herself for a while. She'd been, you know, working towards becoming the new Hawkeye for a while, whereas in this case, we're almost, as, uh, as Priscilla said, it's almost like Batman Year Zero. Um, you know, she's, she's still learning and she's making mistakes. And uh, I will talk about the fights and stuff like that later. But no, I'm, I'm really enjoying her. She's one of the, the casting decisions uh, that they made in the Disney Plus series that I'm most looking forward to seeing. The, the only other one that could be close would be uh, Tatiana Maslany as, uh, as She-Hulk. I, I'm really looking forward to that. But this was one where, you know, if they cast the wrong person, it would have killed it. You know, Kate has to be, you know, a, a, a super smart, super funny, super competent person who still screws up occasionally. And I think we're getting that from uh, from Haley Seinfeld's uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you a bit more, Professor. Like, I see what you're saying, Priscilla, and, and I do agree with you. It was a little cringe. But uh, the journey that she's going to go through, I think she's going to mature. And uh, whether she takes up the Hawkeye mantle or not by the end of the series, yo no sé. I do not know. But I do feel like it's going to be night and day, the Kate Bishop, you know, from that very first scene as an adult to her very final scene on this series. And I'm looking forward to her journey. So let's talk about 
her mom, Eleanor Bishop, played by the always fantastic Vera Farmiga. I enjoy, enjoy her immensely. Uh, I loved her on Bates Motel. Uh, pretty much her and Freddie Highmore are the reasons to watch Bates Motel because it's like, you know, master class in acting. Both of them are fantastic. But what do we think of Eleanor? Um, I guess the big question is, is anyone going to drop a bold prediction that she's behind everything? Is, is Eleanor suspicious? Is she sus? Are we keeping our eyes on Eleanor, Professor? Are you suggesting it was Eleanor all along? Um, I, don't think, I don't think she's going to be the ultimate source of evil, but she's obviously bad. She oh. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, no, I think. Yeah. Priscilla, are you with me on this? Oh, yeah. A, a lot of oh. people are theorizing she could be the next Madame Mask, but I'm not oh. so certain that it's going to be that. I don't know that they have. It, it's going to be. It, she's definitely sketchy. She's probably evil. And again, this is, you know. In the comic books, uh, her dad is still alive, and her dad turns out to be, you know, uh, a, a person, you know, a, a, you know, sort of not as evil, but certainly a, a bad conniving businessman. Uh, and I think that she's definitely, yeah. And again, it's like I said with Simon Callow, you don't cast someone like uh, Vera Farmiga uh, unless she's going to do more than just be the mother who's going, oh, you kids. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be, uh, you know, some some big payoff to that. And also, like, if you think about it in, you know, uh, in, in the, the Battle of New York scenes, um, she's talking with her husband about we're, we're going to lose the house. We don't have any money. How does she turn things around so much? Possibly by playing within the rules and just being a smart business person, or maybe there's some darkness going on there. I'm pretty sure it's the latter. Mm-hmm. But I do love her portrayal. She's playing, you know, the slightly exasperated mother, um, but uh, she's, you know, she's giving as good as she gets um, uh, with Kate, as opposed to, you know, when Jack is trying to, you know, uh, verbally spar with her. Okay. All right. Okay. We've got a bold prediction about Eleanor, and and Priscilla co-signs all of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that whole scene at the very end where, she, where she's just like, I don't know when when she's walking away from the whole threatening scene. I totally didn't buy that. She knows exactly what was going down there, and she, she wasn't threatened at all. Mm, okay. All right. All right. I can dig it. I can dig it. Okay. Let's talk about, for me, the breakout star of the episode. And it was Armand III. <laughs> we'll talk about Pizza Dog in a moment. He didn't get much to do in this episode, but I Pizza really Dog was I thought you fantastic. were going to say Pizza Dog. Yeah. I know, that's why I worded it the way that I did. We will be talking about Pizza Dog. Pizza Dog was adorable, but I don't feel like Pizza Dog did much in this episode. But anyway. But I loved Armand III, and then he dies. And I was like, he was bringing the sass... He was bringing the shade. He was bringing, um, like, evil person <laughs> at a certain point. Like, he was getting it in with Eleanor. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, Armand is going to be such a joy to watch. All these damn episodes. And then he gets shish And uh, my heart gets broken. <laughs> But Priscilla, what'd you think of Armand the Third? And the professor sort of said, you know, you don't cast somebody like, you know, and, and not see him again. Do we think we will see Armand the Third again? Like, this can't be a show where just everybody's faking their deaths, I'm just saying. But, like, what did you think of Armand the Third? And what do you think 
his, um, how would we word it? His, uh, intense. What do you think his intense conversation with Eleanor was about? I don't know whether or not we'll see him again, but I know for certain that, like, his son is supposed to be, like, is supposed to be, the name of it is supposed to be the character who's based on the swordsman, but the swordsman is supposed to be the guy who trained Clint, and he's too young to be the guy who trained Clint, so I'm thinking Armand might have been the one that trained Clint, and we might get scenes where we see the older Armand training Mm. Clint in swordsmanship. Okay, interesting theory. I did read a little bit about that. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, Professor, were you gobsmacked when Armand III was was killed? Oh, yeah. Well, as I say, he's Simon freaking Callow. You know, I, I assumed they were going to do more than just a couple of fun scenes with him. And, you know, he was he, he was having fun. He was great. You know, in his, uh, his scene with Kate, that scene where he was talking with Eleanor, uh, you know, and again, getting to the idea of is Eleanor sketchy slash evil? Uh, you know, uh, when Armand was talking to her, he was saying, look, I have powerful friends, too. So, I mean, she's obviously, you know, well connected and uh, and, and enough to threaten him. Um uh, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was very surprised by that. There's something, and I, I saw an absolutely crazy thing that I don't think they're going to do. Uh, I just mentioned it here so we can all laugh at it and, and not deal with it again, uh, which is the idea of cloning because the Armand numbers don't add up. If he's Armand the third, then his son <laughs> should be Armand the fourth and his grandson should be Armand the fifth and his great grandson would be Armand the sixth. And so how can Armand the seventh be there? He's not that old. Um, but, yeah, I, I really don't think we'd go that route. I, I think that, uh, you know, there's certainly nothing of that, that in the comics. Um, but it, it feels to me like um, yeah, that would be, you know, a really weird way for them to go in, in what, is, what promises to be a much more grounded um, uh, sort of show. So I, I don't think we're going to go the clone route. But maybe I, the idea that maybe he was, you know, a, uh, maybe he could be the person who trained uh, Clint in the past. Um, or something like that, or maybe we'll just see him again in flashbacks. But yeah, I, I don't see how we get him otherwise. Well, I mean, they could have just named all the male sons Armand. Well, yeah, but then you wouldn't have the number after your name. Oh, you wouldn't? Like, even if, if I had two Jeffreys? If you had a son that you named Jeffrey Aruz, he would be yes. Jeffrey Aruz Jr. And then the next one would be Jeffrey Aruz the third. Actually, technically, it's Jeffrey Aruz the second, then Jeffrey Aruz the third, then Jeffrey Aruz the fourth. But it has to be only one in each generation. Oh, just I, I, I assuming they follow okay. the standard uh, numbering uh, nomenclature. Okay. All right. Well, then maybe that's something to keep our eyes on. It uh, could those... just be a more casual family thing, too, that, you know, maybe there's just, you know, so many Armands in the family mm-hmm. that, uh, it, that it wasn't a, a formal thing like that. Yes. We'll keep an eye on this, though. We'll see. If, if clones start popping up, we can, you know, we could be like the professor called the clones angle. Uh, okay. So let's talk about Pizza Dog. Pizza Dog is beloved by the internet. I will just say Pizza Dog also has their own Instagram account. Pizza Dog is played by a doggy named Jolt. Interestingly enough, Jolt's birthday was November 24th, which was the release date of the Hawkeye series. Uh, There is an adorable photo of Jolt celebrating it on their Instagram. 
what do we think of Jolts? Oh, no, not Jolts, sorry. What do we think of Pizza Dog? Pizza Dog actually did not have their name in this episode. So it was just a random, adorable dog that looked at Kate kind of weird, and that she ended up, I guess, kidnapping. But um, what did we think of uh, this adorable creature that we come to know as Pizza Dog uh, by the second episode? Any Any thoughts? He was dirty in this, oh. this episode, but, but he was very cute. And he was smart, too. He was already, like, attacking the bad guys and everything like that, even though he he wasn't, like, he, he was a good dog. He was being a good dog. Okay. I like it. Professor, any additional thoughts on the doggy? Great casting, you know, uh, and again, from the, uh, the the Fraction run on Hawkeye, Pizza Dog was an absolute, you know, standout star from that, partially by the way that, you know, the artist drew him. And, and they managed to get a dog who really does exemplify uh, that. And, uh, yeah, just great casting. The dog is good. I'm a little worried. I, I don't want them to go the sort of magic animal route where the animal just happens to do the right thing at the right time. For example, when he was, you know, attacking the uh, – the one bad guy for no apparent reason. Why would he go after that particular guy? Um, it seemed a little convenient to me, but uh, yeah, he's a good boy. Okay, we love a good boy. Although so, he did uh, chew up a book, so. Oh well, you know that's bad. All right, we haven't talked about Hawkeye, so let's talk about Clint Barton in this episode. Uh, so the series takes place during the holidays. We actually do have like a number of days, you know, before Christmas that, that we are, you know, it, that, that, that we have, uh, I, I believe we start off the series with six days until Christmas. So uh, this is taking place during the holidays, which is, I will say fantastic. I love a superhero story that takes place during the holidays. Uh, we pick up with Clint with his kids in New York. They go to see Rogers the Musical. Let's talk about Rogers the Musical before we even talk about Hawkeye. <laughs> Let's talk about Rogers the Musical. What did we think of Rogers the Musical? Did we enjoy it? Was it ridiculous in a spectacular way? Was it ridiculous in a ridiculous way? What did we think of Rogers the Musical, Priscilla? It's ridiculous in a ridiculous way. I cannot believe that Marvel actually recorded like a whole like four minute I think song. I can do this all day for the musical and actually have it in the Hawkeye soundtrack that you can actually listen to. It's hilarious. I love it. It's so over the top. But the fact that like they have these, like, Broadway stars belted it out in front of him, and the, the Hawkeye is completely unimpressed, and he's just looking at him at this, either looking at it abashedly at Ant-Man at being like, you weren't even there, why are you here? Or looking at Natasha and being like, oh, I miss you. And it's just, it's it's sad. It's, it's, it's both parts melancholy tragic and beautifully funny at the same time it's just just a mishmash of both of those feelings together all at once and i don't know like i just i i loved that scene i thought it was funny as hell it was ridiculata professor rogers the musical i mean you sang a little bit of it 
Were you a fan? Oh, it was it was ridiculously perfect. Um, you know, because you had you know, and it was a really great song. I mean, it really felt like the sort of song that you would have in a Broadway show. You know, right before the uh, you know, right before the uh, uh, the intermission. Uh, it's uh, it's the classic sort of you know get people up you know dancing in the aisles as they go out for their uh, their coffees and their their uh, their sippy cups of wine, um, but it was really tacky too like with the Shatari um, you know ship going by in the background just looked like a cardboard cutout and you know most of the costumes looked absolutely silly except interestingly for Natasha um, you know Natasha you know really looked like Natasha I wonder if they got uh, you know the the woman who who does uh, oh uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, stunt work on. Uh, 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 on uh, Black Widow, uh, because you know she really did look like her. Although you know the, the dance moves were a little more dancey than uh, than we usually see. But no, it, it really felt real to me. And you know, I thought it was really good to sort of you know show Clint there suffering, and then to reveal the fact that you know he'd actually turned his hearing aid off uh, in order to uh, to not have to sit through it uh, was a, was a great payoff as well. But again, and even that that little moment there. Yeah, it's fun and it's cute. And, and they kept revisiting it. You'll notice that there are signs for it and you know, you'll see ads for it. So, you know, they're continually reminding you about this. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're doubling down with it, which is uh, delightful. But again, it's just, you know, sort of showing that, you know, Clint's discomfort with, with being in this very public uh, situation, which we see later in the, uh, the restaurant as well. I think it was a good way to sort of, again, show, don't tell, just sort of establishing his, his discomfort uh, with, uh, with being thrust into that position. And, you know, I thought it was a, a good way to get it done. Mm-hmm. It looks like Rogers the musical is the Hamilton of the Hawkeye, of the MCU, I would say, universe. Yeah. Uh, good grief. Um, I will say it was incredibly cheesy in a spectacular kind of way. Um, it, the, the sort of inconsistencies, I mean, the fact that Ant-Man was there. I mean, I clearly it was for the line from Clint that I mean, he wasn't there. Uh, but, I mean, that was ridiculous. Uh, if it was a real Broadway play, like, I would hope that they would at least try to get things a little bit much more accurate. <laughs> because clearly Ant-Man was not in the picture back then. Um, Although technically, mm-hmm. during the time heist, he was. Oh, uh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yes, look at you. Um, and the the only thing that kind of bugged me about it, and I don't know why it bothered me, it was, it's such a little nitpick, is that if it's Rogers the Musical, it really looked more like Avengers the Musical. Because you would think if they would do a story of Steve Rogers' life, like Act 1 would be everything up to the point to where he gets defrosted. So I can't really see Act 1 ending with the Battle of New York, but I guess maybe it would end at the Battle of New York because so much other stuff happened. I mean, they got to cover Civil War, you know what I'm saying? And that could have been the entire second act leading to Endgame. So, you know, maybe they were right. Maybe the Battle of New York would have been an ending for Act 1. But anyway, let's talk about Hawkeye. Professor mentioned something that I wanted to discuss. Uh, Hawkeye, uh, Clint, has a hearing aid. We get kind of a comedic uh, flashbacks of, like, why he has a hearing aid. Uh, but uh, but I thought that was interesting, because clearly it, it, that was something, that was brand new information. I don't think we knew he was wearing a hearing aid, or maybe he wasn't the last time that we saw him, he's with his kids, he's spending, you know, I guess a couple days in New York, that's when he ended up taking the kids to see Rogers the Musical, we see some of the people around him, you know, some people knowing that he's Hawkeye, 
others not. He's living a pretty low-key life. And what kind of, you know, uh, thwarts his low-key life is the fact that he hears that the, the Ronin costume is out and about. We'll talk about the Ronin costume in a little bit. Let's talk about just Clint in general. Us catching up with Clint, seeing him where he is at this point in the MCU. Professor, what'd you think of uh, of Clint? I thought it was good. And, and again, you know, the idea of, of showing, not telling. You know, this presumably is his first, um, you know, Christmas with his family since they were brought back. Um, so obviously this to him is incredibly significant. And, uh, you know, that's why he wants to do everything there is to do and, and get back and, you know, be there for, you know, uh, you know, all the family stuff and uh, and, and, you know, make this, you know, the, the perfect uh, Barton family Christmas. Um, and, you know, the fact that we do know the number of days until Christmas and you know, how many episodes do we have? Oh, isn't that an interesting coincidence? Um, it's uh, it's obviously putting, you know, the the timer on this. But, no, I really liked it. And I think, you know, Jeremy Renner, you know, played it really well of the guy who is, you know, been thrust into a public situation, uh, you know, feels that, you know, um, you know, whether he feels he's not worthy of it or he's just not comfortable with it. I think he's he's doing a very good job of giving off that vibe of someone who who doesn't want to be praised. Yeah, totally. I 100 percent feel everything that you just said about it. Uh, I thought Jeremy Renner did a really good job conveying that. Uh, yeah, he was. It was really good. And, and, Professor, I did not think of the angle that you just gave, though, in regards to this could be his first Christmas with the fam post-snap. And even if it isn't the first one, you know, maybe if it's within, like, the first handful, I could see him still, you know, wanting that Christmas to be special, you know, because he had lost, what was it, five Christmases with his family. So, So that makes sense. Priscilla, your take on everything Clint. I feel like we're finally getting to know Clint and it's fine. It's showing that he's not like the other Avengers and that he's kind of an everyday man. Like, he's not pleased that they're having this big showy thing with him as one of the cast one of the castmates there, like he, he's not impressed by that. He, he, he instead is just kind of like embarrassed about it. Even, even in the urinals when somebody comes up to him and is like, Hey, can I take a picture with you? He's like, um, now's not the right time. Like he, he seems to eschew fame. And a part of me is like, well, you're an Avenger. Like that should come as par for the course. But another part of me is like, well, like that—that that it's a good thing that 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 he that he's like that because it shows that he's humble. So there's there's layers to him, and I I I really like that in this character. One hundred percent, yes, yes. Uh, Clint was fascinating in, in this episode, and and as I said before, I was never really a, a Hawkeye fan, but seeing him really be the family man, seeing him, seeing him still be kind of like the reluctant superhero was really interesting to see. Like, I cannot even imagine being in his shoes, standing at the urinal and, being like, and, and having just a rando. Can we take a picture? It's like, this isn't a good time, clearly. And then washing his hands, is now a good time? Like, really, dude? Like, oh gosh, the public... 
we, the public, are are horrible to uh, people in the spotlight at times. Um, yeah, uh, you know, good grief. Anyway, so let's talk about the Ronin costume and how it comes into effect. Uh, so we witness a black market auction for the super rich uh, that featured items recovered from the remains of the Avengers compound. And we actually see Armand III, as well as his nephew Jack, they're bidding on items. Uh, we actually see Jack take uh, Ronan's um, retractable sword thing. Uh, we also see that Jack is a sword collector. We'll talk about Jack in, in, in a moment. Um, but uh, yes, the, the Ronan costume is there. Uh, the or I should say outfit, and uh, the black market auction is attacked by the tracksuit mafia, uh, literally men in tracksuits who are a part, of, a part of a mafia. So let's talk about the tracksuit mafia. What did we think of them? Um, clearly, they are a comic book creation. Uh, uh, yeah, just our thoughts on the tracksuit mafia. Uh, there was a fantastic line from Kate Bishop that was like basically like, you know, oh, okay, it's a little on the nose. I think that was in the second episode when she said it. But, I mean, clearly it is very much on the nose because they are literally wearing tracksuits. Uh, Priscilla, tracksuit mafia. My God. Was it this episode or was it the... Oh, no, it was the next episode. So I, I, won't, I won't say much of anything but they they look like a bunch of bumbling oaths like they they yes they're taken out by a year one superhero like how dumb can they be <laughs> they're taken out by a dog too like yes. they're, they're not necessarily the best of bad guys here this is probably why clint looks at the describes him so derisively later on he's like tracksuit mafia uh Yes, clearly they aren't the ones in charge. I'm just saying, they are the hench peeps. They are not the ringleaders. Professor, any additional thoughts on the tracksuit mafia? Any um, gems from the comics uh, that will help, you know, let us know a little bit more about them? No, I don't want to say too much because it's it's really not until episode two that we get to see just how dysfunctional okay. they are. But again, that was a big part of uh, of the uh, the comic books is that the tracksuit mafia is just a total clueless bunch of of losers, uh, and uh, you know, so um, it's 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 a good representation of that. Although honestly, in the scene where they're coming in, until the scene where you know Kate suits up and goes after them, they were actually working pretty professionally. You know, they managed to get in there. They they blew a hole in it. They were searching for, you know, the thing they needed. And, uh, you know, we didn't they didn't seem quite as clueless as I was expecting. They seemed you know a bit more of a threat, honestly, um, you know, in the uh, the underground uh, auction scene than I would have expected based on the comics. True. But they did get taken down by Kate, you know, after that auction scene, like pretty True. easily. I'm just saying. Yes. So let's talk about Jack. It's going to be a oh, little actually, bit... Actually, before we leave, oh, yes. the uh, that, uh, I just want to talk about the fight mm -hmm. scene. Um, I really liked it because it was clumsy. Um, you know, she was not fighting like Clint. She was not fighting like Natasha. She was fighting like someone who's had a lot of, you know, training in, you know, 
but not in real world combat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, all of her fighting, you know, I thought it was, and you know, if you're a trained fighter, you know, the, the sort of people who do these fight scenes, it must be difficult. It would be, it's like if you're a good singer singing badly, or if you're a good dancer dancing badly, you have to be fighting your natural instincts, um, you know, or the skills that you've developed in order to fight in a clumsy way. But I thought they did a really great job of, of showing that, you know, it's, uh, it, she, you know, a lot of it was luck on her part, you know, getting out of it. It wasn't that she was, you know, a, a total badass fighter right off the bat. So I really liked the choreography of it. It was, it was fun. It was, it played off the fact that we know she was in gymnastics. So there was, you know, a very gymnastic, uh, you know, sort of element uh, to the fighting style. Uh, but a lot of it was just sort of desperate in, in uh, desperate improvisation as well. That's a really good point, Professor, because I noticed when she was fighting them out on the streets, like what they were doing, like we would hear a lot of like, ooh, ah, and that kind of stuff. And in my mind, I was like, why are we hearing this? You know, we don't usually hear our superheroes like reacting to like the punches, but it makes sense because she's technically not a hero. Like she's sort of being thrust into this world because she's trying to do the right thing so like hearing her like actually receive the punches and the fact that she's actually getting hurt makes sense because she's never done this before Uh, i mean she was holding her own i mean let's let's be real because she does end up taking them down uh, on the streets of new york but um but yeah the the fact that she was reacting to the punches the fact that she was getting hurt uh, was appropriate because this is the first time she's ever done something like this that at least that we know of let's talk about Jack. And it's going to be difficult to talk about Jack because Jack actually has larger scenes in the next episode. So let's try not to dip our toes into that. But first impressions on Jack. In this episode, we see that he has a friendship with the family. Then we learn that he is engaged to Eleanor. Uh, we have a couple of interesting bits of dialogue f- about Jack from Armand the Third to Kate at the charity auction, which ends up housing also the black market auction. We get a little bit of interaction between him and his uncle at the auction. Um, so, so those were the little bits of Jack that we got in this episode. Um, interestingly enough, after the first episode, I was much more suspicious of Jack than Eleanor. Because y'all immediately, I guess, were suspicious of Eleanor. But I was much more suspicious of Jack than Eleanor after the first episode. So what did we think of Jack? Hella smarmy? Suspicious? Yes? Uh, uh, Priscilla, we'll start off with you. I thought it was a team effort of how oh. of of suspiciousness between both of them. Okay. Because he just I don't know, man. Someone who doesn't go uh, go and look into the family and like try and get like permission to 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 marry someone's like significant other is just weird to me. To to not to not have gone and like tell the daughter, hey, I'm marrying your 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 mother is that okay with you like that's weird to me and he didn't do that and just went off and was like hey surprise i married your mom like weird i don't know i didn't trust him from the jump and the fact that that, that he's like i inherited this money from his dad at the auction i'm like from who 
Are you saying that you're going to kill him later on? Is that why you're saying you're inheriting this money? So, yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't trust this guy in okay. the slightest. Professor, any thoughts on Jack? I think they use him, you know, really interestingly to set up uh, Kate. Uh, you know, for example, you know, his opening line, what an unexpected surprise, all surprises are unexpected. Boom, that can't possibly be true, is it? Uh, you know, so they're playing him as sort of, you know, an amiable dolt. Um, but you get the sense that, you know, and, and in the, the later scene in the office where he's talking, about, I remember you thinking about the next one where he's talking about, you know, being a stepfather and I bought a book. Um, you know, yeah, he's, uh, you know. Yeah, but he's he's you know sort of being played as a, an amiable dunce. But then in the scene with Armand, you get a sense that there's that he's not quite that amiable and not quite that stupid either. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be an act that he's putting on. Now, for what reason he's putting on that act, I don't know. Um, you know, given that you know, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, that Eleanor is uh, is going to be the baddie. I would not be surprised. This is okay. I'm just going to put this out there. Totally crazy. Jack might be a good guy. Jack could be like an undercover shield agent who's infiltrating Eleanor's organization or something like that. But I would not be at all surprised if Jack ends up helping Kate rather than hindering her. Fascinating. Because, again, in terms of Kate's personal growth, she's going to have to overcome her natural distaste for Jack in order to accept that help. And, yeah, I would not be surprised to find that's the case. But I, I love his, his portrayal. You know, just, uh, the, and again, you know, he's, he's sort of playing the simple guy, but there's a little intelligence behind the eyes that, uh, that leads you to think there's, there's more going on here than you would think. All right. Well, that's an interesting, bold oh, prediction. Oh, shit. I like that theory more than my theory. That, 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 I, I'm going to jump to that theory better. Okay. All right. Very interesting. So... And also, he could still be the swordsman. You know, from the comics, because the swordsman does become a good guy in the comics. He starts out as a bad guy, but like Hawkeye, becomes a good guy in the end. So, Okay. Stay tuned. Uh, so the episode ends with, uh, well, I just, uh, well, it ends because, um, so, so uh, Hawkeye, uh, Clint, ends up seeing a news report of the Ronin outfit. You know, oh, the mysterious Ronin is back after years of yada, yada, yada. So uh, he somehow, I don't really understand this, but he ends up tracking down uh, Kate, who's wearing the Ronin outfit, and, uh, you know, basically, oh my gosh, it's you, it, it's, it's Hawkeye, and he's like, who are you, Kate Bishop, basically, who are you? So that's where the episode ends. Uh, was there anything that I missed in this first episode, a tiny little moment that anyone wants to discuss before we head into the MVP? Well, we talked earlier about the tracksuit mafia and the fact that I thought they were pretty good in their opening scene. But when you see Clint taking them down, it's a reminder of just how incompetent they are because he was taking guys down with a scarf. Yeah. Um, and, was, and again, it sort of shows the difference in fighting level between Kate, who has you know, she's got all the martial arts training, but she doesn't have the real world experience. Clint is not fighting with a precise martial arts style. He, like Nate, or like Nat, uh, is fighting with a style that is purely about taking your guy down as quickly and efficiently as possible. It's not meant to be pretty. It's not meant to be, you know, uh, you know, acrobatic or anything like that. It is purely a very, you know, precise physical style of fighting. Uh, so I liked that. And, uh, yeah, a great reveal. You know, who the hell are you? Exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. Props to... Mm-hmm. Wait, go ahead, Priscilla. I think the monogram butterscotches are going to be important. Oh, very nice. Okay. 
Yes, it was a big thing in this episode. And uh, not to get into the next one, it was a big thing in the next one as well. Monogrammed butterscotches. I mean, who who knew those were a thing? But they are, you know? You can monogram anything, even M&M's. So, uh, let me just say, just the cinematography was gorgeous in this episode. I mean, I could say it's just gorgeous in general, because we've seen two episodes. The cinematography is, is stunning. Christmas in New York... Um, it, it's just beautiful, and I'm glad that they uh, have been able to capture it in a, a really wonderful way. So, uh, yeah, just props to them. I do know that they actually did film in New York. Some of it was filmed in Atlanta, like a lot of the Marvel stuff was as well, and I did read that uh, I guess some reshoots were done in um, Toronto. But uh, what we saw was just visually beautiful. And uh, I do have a, a little thing just to confirm, maybe what the professor was uh, just uh, interpreting. Um, one of the little uh, sort of one-line sentences that's like the premise of the series does say that this series takes place a year after the events of Avengers Endgame. So I think that just adds additional weights to what the professor was saying, that this is probably Clint's first Christmas with his family post snap. So, uh, you know, that's why he's, he was really trying to do everything to make the kids' Christmas special. You know, going to a Broadway musical, going to see the Rockefeller tree, and all that kind of stuff. All right, so now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Priscilla, who's your MVP and why? My MVP is Kate, because as much as I rally against her for being kind of the whole spoiled rich kid archetype Mm -hmm. a little bit, I have to admit that her charm just kind of seeps through and kind of negates all of that for me and makes it all the more worthwhile to watch her. It's just she's bumbling through all of this and shows that she's got the heart of a superhero with deep within and I am looking forward to seeing her blossom into a superhero and show more confidence in herself so that if this is what we get in the pilot with us looking forward to seeing more then I'm glad that we got to see it I like it very good choice professor what about you your MVP and why I'm going to go with Lila, uh, uh, Clint's daughter. Uh, I really liked her. She's, uh, you know, uh, one of the the Russo brothers' daughter. Uh, you know, she had a very small part to play as Lila, uh, you know, in uh, uh, in Infinity War. Um, or maybe it was beginning of Endgame. Uh, but um, uh, I thought she was great. She she had a really nice, uh, you know, relationship with her father. She's, you know, and she's like the, the smart kid. That uh, that understands, you know, more than is going on. She understands, you know, what her father's going through in a way that, you know, her brothers don't. And that scene where, you know, she's you know, reacting because her older brother is technically put in charge, but then he he tells her, no, you're the one you're always taking care of us. You're you know, you're the one in charge. I thought that was just a really great father daughter moment that I loved. Very nice. That that MVP came out of left field, but I enjoyed that, Professor. Well, I was going to pick Pizza Dog, but as you said, he he hasn't even got his name yet. So. <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. Okay, good. So I am going 
I'm going to pick my first choice for this episode, because he died. Armand III. I mean, he was just fantastic. It was just so refreshing, ridiculous, sassy, kind of shady, uh, kind of uh, cunning and, and, and uh, merciless, you know, uh, at, at the auction. Just various different shades of fantastic. And then he fucking dies. And I was like, where, where am I going to get all this? I guess, you know, they better infuse Jack with some of that. Uh, because Armand the third was fantastic. It's, it's such an interesting character. And I, I hope we see him at least if he, if he's dead, dead, I hope we see him at least in flashbacks because I really need to understand what the hell was going down between him and Eleanor. Um, so, uh, if Eleanor is going to be the shady, shady, shady lady that, uh, we all are assuming she is, we need to see some of the shady stuff that she's been doing behind the scenes. I'm just saying. So, now it's time to rate this episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 arrows? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Quiver. So, Professor, you can start off. How would you rate this episode? Well, I'm reluctant to go too high off the start because we have to leave room to grow. But, damn, this was an enjoyable episode of television. You know, it, it introduced the characters. It got things going. It, uh... It's and Haley Steinfeld is 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 so good as Kate. I'm going to give it 9.5 arrows, and uh, and I hope it just keeps getting at least this good or, or even getting better. Wow, starting off very strong with a 9.5 from the professor, Priscilla. What about you? How would you rate the very first episode of Hawkeye? I'm not going to rate it as high because I still feel like some of the fight scenes were a little clunky with getting, like, four kidney shots and not feeling anything but, like, dazed afterwards was... It, it was just kind of unrealistic to me. So I'm going to give it a nine. But still, it was pretty good. <laughs> a nine for the kidney shots. I can't. I love it. That was beautiful. <laughs> Priscilla, I can't with you. A nine for the kidney shots. But interestingly, interestingly enough, I will actually agree with you, Priscilla. I'm, Priscilla, I'm going to give it a nine. Um, I think a nine is a good number because we, we do need room to grow. But as the professor said, with all of his enthusiasm, it was a damn good first episode. For me, as someone that really was not looking forward to this series, I was enthralled with this series, with the first episode, and hell, even the second one. Everything was really fantastic. Uh, it was such a different series than I was expecting in my mind. Like, I wasn't expecting the comedic tone, sort of the light and bubbly, bubbly and breezy tone that we got in this episode, and I was here for it. So uh, I will co-sign with The Nine. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new summit of the Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye. Here's our announcer to remind you how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives.
You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, Hawkeye, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Priscilla. Good night, everyone. And the professor. You see, that's the problem, Jeff. You, you don't even know my name. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Avengers Initiative Hawkeye every yes, every Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Radio Archives. Good night. Thank you.